0: Here's Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another show from the venue of the National Tribal Public Health Summit. It is May 2018 when we're recording, and we're at the Mystic Lake Casino and Resort in Prior Lake, Minnesota. Across from me is Stacy Hammer. Stacy, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Stacy, you are a registered dietitian. You're also the diabetes coordinator for the Lower Sioux Healthcare Center. For those who don't know the geography of the Northern Plains, tell us uh, where you fit into the greater Minneapolis area where we find ourselves today.
2: Sure. Uh, the Lower Sioux community is located about an hour and 45 minutes southwest of the metropolitan area around Minneapolis. So we're, we're pretty close. We're one of the four Dakota tribes here in Minnesota.
1: Okay. And how about your background? Is, are you from that tribal background?
2: Yes, I am an enrolled member. Um, I did not grow up on the reservation. My dad grew up on the reservation um, and then went on to Haskell University. And from there, he entered the military. And um, when he was, after his tour in Vietnam is when he pursued a career in technology. And so that's what brought him and our family up to um, the Minneapolis metropolitan area where oh, I was good. raised. So, Very good.
1: Yeah. Well, we featured Haskell on the show before. A lot of our listeners are well uh, familiar with oh, that great. Native uh academic institution. Are you a graduate of Haskell too? Did I learn that at one point or not? Uh,
2: no, I'm actually not. I graduated from Minnesota State University in Mankato. Okay. And Mankato also is kind of the, uh, it's about an hour from this location here in Shakopee. Mm-hmm.
1: So you go into a public health career as a registered dietitian. Is that safe to say or did you start as a clinical dietitian?
2: It's interesting. When I started working for our tribe, you know, we were in a small office of four people. I was the first registered dietitian they hired, and it was very community health focused. So Mm -hmm. we didn't have a clinic in our community. Within the next couple of years, we started to grow. We hired one of our own community members, which happens to be one of my cousins, who had a strong background in health administration working for Mayo Clinic Health Systems. And so once we had him on board, we were able to secure funding to build our first clinic on our reservation. So, so that was really exciting and I think now think back, it's only been five years from really? when I first started. <laughs> yeah, in that little office to now the last two years in our clinic. So my focus. It seems to shift year to year because mm-hmm. of the different changes that our community is, has been undertaking um, around healthcare. care. So uh, when we transitioned into the clinic, became my position came a little more clinical because I was mm-hmm. a- actually able to chart and um, see patients for medical nutrition therapy. So that's my role in clinic. But the public health side, um, I've been working on a lot of policy around healthy eating. And a couple of years ago, I would say it's been three and a half years. Another shift in my career there was that um, we were able to secure funding from the Administration on Aging Title VI program. Mm. So once we had that funding, one of the requirements, of course, it's a nutrition program. We need a registered dietitian to kind of oversee the menu. But because we're kind of a smaller community, we have just under a thousand enrolled members living within a 10-mile radius. And we have approximately 80 elders currently, Mm -hmm. 60 and over, that we do serve for elders um, nutrition program uh, for meals. I basically took on that role as a Title VI director and work as the dietitian who I develop the recipes and the menus, and we coordinate with our local casino. They create the meals for us, mm-hmm. um, and then we distribute them to our elders. Okay, Yeah, a few different hats, I guess. Yeah, I mean, so
1: you, you got your hands in a lot of things. So let's talk a little bit more about this Title VI, because a lot of people throughout Indian country refer to that. For those who've heard it but aren't sure just what all it involves— Break that down for us, could you please? sure
2: uh, yeah, I think the the big thing about I think the important piece of Title Six is that it 's not just a meal program it 's a meal program that is there to serve our elders' nutritious meals, so mm-hmm. you know when we first received the grant, I went to the first conference and was handed a large binder and a huge chunk of that binder was on menu planning, menu development, um, nutrition standards for our elders, um, but there's another piece of that which includes caregiver services, which mm-hmm. I think is really important. So the program also provides respite services for, you know, in our small community, we have, you know, a handful of elders that are raising their grandchildren, some are raising their great-grandchildren. Wow. So, you know, having that that funding there that we can help provide services such as daycare mm-hmm. and, you know, camps for some of the kids in in the summertime so that these grandparents can have, you know, a break, you know, even if that break means going to the store by themselves, you know, just to have an hour, you know, where they're provided, you know, daycare services. And it's also there for those that are caring for um, an elderly spouse as well.
1: So in order to use Title VI funds, you can use it on youth as long as it's helping a senior. Is that how it works? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you have to make that Connection. Yes. Yep. Okay, very good. So you're involved with that. And here, you're actually one of the presenters at this venue. So tell us a little bit about what you'll be presenting a little bit later in the conference.
2: Sure. Um, I will be talking about the policy development that we've had here in at the Lower Sioux Indian Community over the past few years. I'll be co-presenting with Melanie Pusinski, who works for the American Indian Cancer Foundation that is also located here in the Minneapolis area, but they are a national organization. And then Julie Aoki, which is she's a lawyer that works for the Public Health Law Center here in um, St. Paul. Mm-hmm. So I just found over the years, having these strong partnerships with such you know wonderful groups of people um, has really helped kind of spearhead you know some of this policy development in our community. A big piece of that. I guess the success that we can attribute this to is the formation of our um, first ever Health and Human Services Advisory Committee. Hmm. Uh, so we've had a committee of eight community members uh, for the past three years. Um, and again, that was part of our partnership with the American Indian Cancer Foundation. They, we had an, an event where we had a native chef come into our community, um, have a, had a gathering at our local casino in one of the ballrooms. Where he kind of educated on indigenous foods and why they're, you know, healthier for us and mm-hmm. that they are still available. We mm-hmm. just don't necessarily think because if they're not available in a grocery store, we don't think about some of those foods, unfortunately. So in that evening we did hand out ballots and asked for people to recommend people in the community that they think would be great assets to this you know this committee mm-hmm. and they are they're built up of you know we have a couple of elders um, some younger we have some youth on there as well but people you know again from coming from a small community we have a representation of you know all the families um, in the community which I think is really important so uh, with the work with the committee we meet with them monthly uh, bring up different different topics as far as you know the, the clinic anything surrounding community health but with this policy development. Um, we've really been working with them each month on their input, um, different activities to kind of get everyone thinking about what, what does policy look like here in our community? Mm-hmm. What changes do we want to see? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think this is one of the more difficult things for a layperson to conceptualize. You know, we speak about policy and then we're speaking about dietary choices. We're speaking of community involvement And I think for a lot of folks, maybe it's just the the people that I rub shoulders with, when they hear policy, they're thinking laws and, you know, governmental things. But whether it's at a level of tribal government or whether it's a policy in a clinic, all of these things have relevance to how programs are delivered, right?
2: Right. Yeah. And I think for us in a tribal community, it started in September of 2016 is when we asked our tribal council to sign a resolution supporting this work. But we've always kept them engaged and part mm-hmm. of the process, and that, which I think is really important. I hear that that's one of the hardest or one of the biggest barriers, I think, in a lot of Native communities is reaching our our tribal leadership mm-hmm. and getting them the buy-in piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing we did uh, do with our tribal council is um, we asked the American Indian Cancer Foundation to come in. Um, so they had two of their individuals come in and facilitate a session with each of the tribal councilmen and asked them a few questions surrounding health and their their views on health in the community and what mm-hmm. they think. And then they compiled that into a report and placed it on a PowerPoint. We presented that at a community wellness dinner. Tribal Council was was present there as well as, you know, before we brought it out to the community, we showed them the report just so that they could also see what each other had to say because they weren't in a room together. They were all mm-hmm. separate mm-hmm. answering those questions. And what we found is that they all seem to be very supportive of this idea of improving health for mm-hmm. our communities. So um, I think having that buy-in and making them, you know, a part of the conversation all along has been what's really helped us. So once that resolution was signed that showed that they supported this plan for making change in the community, we're now to the point where we have an actual official food policy that will be placed in the employee handbook for all those um, employees that work in our community center, our rec center, and also in our clinic. I guess when I say policy, the big thing that we talked about in the very beginning with this is, you know, we have a couple of people on our health committee that have diabetes. We have Mm -hmm. a type 1 diabetic and we also have Mm -hmm. a couple of type 2 diabetics. And they made comments about how when they go to some of our community events, you know, they typically don't eat the food that's offered. They eat before wow. they go because they know it's going to be very high in saturated fat mm-hmm. and um, a lot of carbs. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they know they're going and they're hungry and they want to enjoy that, then they know that they're going to have to really, <laughs> you're going to have to bump up that insulin, you okay. know, because okay. they have to cover this meal. That, And I thought that's just, it just hurts to think that this is how we're feeding our community. Mm-hmm. People are acknowledging the fact that we're not feeding our community members right you know so that's what kind of prompted some of this work and so that's where the education piece came in where you know i really wanted i i mean i'm obviously educating the community on healthier foods indigenous foods but it's sometimes it's great to have people come in to the community especially a a native chef um Mm -hmm. to come in and um, educate as well and really get people excited and motivated to you know do make some of these changes no this is really
1: great I I'm I'm especially interested in what you're doing with uh, you know I, I love the piece that you brought in someone from the American Indian Cancer Foundation. We've been doing a little bit of work in in diabetes in addition to hosting the show. I'm also a clinician so I actually see patients and then I'm working with a small grant in Indian country that is focused on impacting diabetes doing some things that may not be happening at every tribal level. And one of the things that we're looking at is just what you're doing. And that is it almost seems, and I'm, I'm really interested in your feedback on this, Stacy. It almost seems that for some people, they get to a point where they feel like they've heard the diabetes messages. And even though they're not implementing them, maybe they're still eating those high saturated fat foods, the high carb foods, and they're just covering them with lots of insulin. Mm-hmm. So they really haven't seen the big picture but they know it all. They're not going to come to your diabetes session because mom went to it and they were there with mom 20 years ago and dad it wasn't you giving it. Right. But they know it all. Well, when you start talking about cancer or we've been doing some work with high blood pressure, somehow it's a different teachable moment. I don't know. Are you finding that, that these kind of synergisms are especially powerful in your population?
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, we have, I would say, Probably 100% of the community members, um, have been affected somehow by cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in our partnership with the American Indian Cancer Foundation, that has changed the narrative a little bit, um, mm-hmm. cause they have a focus on healthy native foods as well. And so I think when people hear that, they, it's, it's not just like you said, where it's this constant diabetes is always in the back of their mind. All these, all these things that they can't do, the things they can't eat. And, but when cancer is, brought into the conversation. I don't know, it's it's kind of changes changes things a little bit. Like I you know, I talk about the correlation between things like colon cancer and how how you know, diet affects your chances of mm. of developing uh, colon cancer and why. You know, and I explain it in a way that You know, I don't, I don't like to use a lot of medical terms. I just explain it in a way that, you know, makes it a little bit easier for people to really understand and and, in a way that helps just kind of resonates more with them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I've also found too, you know, when I talk with people, you know, especially our elders, they don't really, they're not concerned about themselves. They're more concerned about Mm -hmm. their grandchildren, Mm -hmm. their children. And so you know, it's always reminding them that, you know, they want to care for their family, but if they can't, if they they themselves are not healthy, it's harder for them to care for others. Exactly. Um, so they really need to, it's really hard to get them to think of themselves first. But, you know, when I kind of change the narrative in that way, it really seems to resonate a little bit more with them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you're right. When I'm sick, it's really hard to care for my grandchildren, mm-hmm. you know.
1: I think this is one of the big challenges is how do we make, public health messages or even, you know, personal health messages relevant so a person embraces it because after all, change is difficult, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So basically, you're a living example and your team of how things can change in a community. Well, you too, as you're listening to American Indian Living today, can be an example of what can change in your community as well. And it all starts really... With you applying what you know, making a difference, just as uh, Stacy did. We're actually still here in the exhibit hall, and uh, because of some changes in scheduling here, uh, Stacy will not be with us for the next segment, but we will have uh, another great guest who's here right with us at this National Tribal Public Health Summit in Minnesota. But uh, before leaving this first segment of the show, I want to let you know that Stacy is available. You can actually contact her or her team at lowersuehhs.org. That's lowersue, S-I-O-U-X, H-H-S, dot org. So hopefully Stacey has been uh, an encouragement to you and things that you can do differently at a tribal level. We're going to have some more great information coming up this time from Alaska in our next segment. Don't go away. We'll be back with more from Minnesota following this.
0: Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out.
3: For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter.
4: Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim.
3: When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke.
4: If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose.
1: Welcome back to American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose here at the Mystic Lake Casino and Resort in Minnesota. We are here for the National Tribal Public Health Summit. We're recording in May Of 2018 and as I promised you at the end of last segment we have someone with us from Alaska from a group called search also representing the National Native Network her name is Tammy Meisner Tammy it's great to have you with us thank you I'm happy to be here now Tammy you have a diverse background as many of the folks here at this conference do tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into doing the work that you're doing
5: well my background is um, actually in elementary education I still hold a certificate in Alaska <clears throat> but I have decided to kind of um, expand out and um, help my tribal citizens. So um, I'm a health educator with SEARCH, and I work in different communities. I work in um, Wrangell, Alaska, and then on Prince of Wales Island. So,
1: okay. Sounds like beautiful country. <laughs> it
5: is gorgeous, especially on sunny days.
1: <laughs> okay. Are those rare up where you're at?
5: Something, Yeah, last year they were rare. This year we're having better weather. <laughs>
1: okay. Well, it's great to have you here in Minnesota. You are not only representing SEARCH. Which stands for the Southeast Alaskan Health Consortium. Am I close? Regional health consortium. Regional health consortium. Okay, I knew there was an R in there. (laughs) So you represent Search, but you're also representing a group that has a very physical presence here. Not that Search doesn't, but at least next to me in the exhibit hall is the National uh, Native Network. Tell us a little bit about what the National Native Network is.
5: Sure, we're um, a group of uh, tribes tribal organizations, and tribal serving programs um, across the U.S. that are um, working to decrease the burden of cancer and commercial tobacco health disparities in American Indians and and Alaska Natives.
1: So is your focus entirely on tobacco-related issues?
5: It's around tobacco, but, I mean, the Native tradition is kind of holistic, so we try to incorporate um, whatever we can. For example, we created a, a National Native Network traditional foods toolkit guide, mm-hmm. um, and that helps, uh, you know, people trying to quit tobacco. Um, basically, behavior changes are also needed to make it successful, so trying to get people to understand that eating better, walking healthy, um, and going back to our traditional ways as best we can. Um, is healthy and a good choice and can help them stay and and quit tobacco.
1: That is tremendous. And it's really great to have you on the show because not long ago, I interviewed uh, someone else from the family of of tribes, Native peoples, uh, tribal corporations, whatever you want to call them up there in Alaska, uh, uh, Katie Cueva. I don't know if you've met Katie over the years, but she does a lot of work in, in the cancer area. And Katie was sharing something with our listeners that, a lot of folks may not be aware of, at least in, in much of Alaska, tobacco was not a traditional native uh, plant.
5: No, no, it's, it's not. It's not a traditional plant that we used. Um, with colonization, tobacco mm-hmm. did come into play, especially in some of our potlatches and things, we give it away as a gift. Um, we are really working towards um, changing that that um, tradition I would call it now mm-hmm. um, and uh, a lot of people are, are understanding of that especially with all the the information out there now with tobacco and them understanding how how detrimental it is for our people because we we still have a high number I think it's about between 42 and forty forty six 46 percent of our Alaskan natives that um, that use tobacco wow yeah. and so
1: that's really new all following colonization yeah and then tobacco has come into some of the ceremonies and things, too. Is that safe to say in Alaska or not so much?
5: Yeah, potlatches and things like giving it away as gifts mm-hmm. and, and things like that was not uncommon. still is common, but we're really trying to um, educate and, mm-hmm. and inform people. that That's probably, there's other other things that we can do um, during our ceremonies. Okay. So, yeah.
1: So, you have a specific approach as you work with uh, Alaskan natives. It may be a little bit different than some of those working with folks in the lower 48 as far as dealing with tobacco and issues around it?
5: Yeah, I mean, we're similar in the fact that um, uh, there are urban Indians, there's the reservations. Mm -hmm. We only have one reservation in the state of Alaska. Um, The rest of us are um, tribes within ourselves, so there's 229 tribes in the state of Alaska, federally recognized, um, and there are 567 federally recognized tribes across the U.S. So we kind of We have a lot of tribes, and they're all different. But we all, the National Native Network really promotes um, policy changes at a higher level. Um, Example would be uh, tribes passing policies within themselves um, for smoke-free workplaces, smoke-free or tobacco-free areas, um, properties. um, And uh, we, we have a lot of social media that provides that information and language for people. Um, so they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can um, find the resources on our, on our website, keepitsafer.org, and therefore adapt it to, to their tribe or their organization.
1: So what I'm trying to conceptualize in my own mind, Tammy, is I'm thinking of folks that may be listening to the show today. They're maybe uh, tribal council people. Maybe they're working in a health department. Maybe they're working in a tribal clinic. They're listening, they're saying, uh, this sounds interesting, we're trying to do things, we've been doing things with with tobacco, Uh, they may even be using that theme, keeping it sacred, Mm -hmm. but maybe they're not familiar with the National Native Network, and the question is, why should they get in contact with you folks now?
5: Well, we are... uh... Kind of a network of networks, I would say. Um, we are in- administered by the Intertribal Council of Michigan. Um, we have partner agencies, SEARCH being one of them, Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium. We have the California Rural Indian Health Board, Great Plains Tribal Chairman's Health Board. And the reason that I would say get in contact with us, either we have a lot of different options, um, keepitsacred.org. You can follow us on Twitter at Keep it Sacred. Um and the reason I I would recommend people contacting us, or is because we provide free training, technical assistance, um, culturally relevant webinars, in-person trainings, presentations, mm. and we offer an online um, wonderful resources for culturally appropriate and evidence-based cancer and tobacco information. Okay, including travel stories and success stories that that we have had, and it's all for free. It's just kind of a a conglomerate of information and resources, and it's it's so valuable because um, I have I have yet to find a location where we can find information regarding tribal activities and things that are happening in other places that you can take and adapt to your area. So. Um, it's a great place to see. Oh well, that that worked in in um, say in Michigan, but I'm going to adapt it for Alaska, so mm-hmm. I can make it personally mine. And it's such a wonderful exchange of information, um, and and a great place to, to ask questions and to to, to find out where. To to make connections. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it's a network of network. Contact us, and we can get you connected with somebody who knows if we don't know the Excellent.
1: So basically what I'm hearing from you, Tammy, is, first of all, just going to your your website. And the the National Native Network, I can get to it just by putting in keepitsacred.org. That takes me to the main page Mm -hmm. there. Yep. And once I'm there, I don't need to interact with anyone necessarily. I can just take advantage of the resources that are there. Absolutely. And when you do webinars, do you archive those there? Are there...
5: Yep, the webinars are archived, and we do have a few podcasts also.
1: Okay. Now, I know a lot of people, when I talk here at, uh, at conferences in Indian country, people will say, what really engages me are the stories. Mm-hmm. Now, you have success stories available on the website. Does anything come to mind in your work with the network that, that just resonates with, with your own experience or maybe work that you've personally done?
5: Sure. Um, in Alaska, I have found, and I share this uh, on the with the National Native Network also on the Keep It Sacred. We have the the website, but also the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And um, I do try to do, or people in, in my um, position, we interview people who have quit um, mm-hmm. tobacco and mm-hmm. then ask them to tell their story. And it's usually just a, a one-sheet, quick uh, success story, which really promotes, because people like to know, we're really close in Alaska as an in mm-hmm. all Indian country. We kind of one person back, we know each other. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's so much more powerful to have somebody who has a success story of someone you might know, or that's somebody's mm-hmm. grandma or that's somebody's cousin, or um, it it makes such a difference and the reach is it's much greater and the impact is much greater. So we share that in our newsletters. Um, we share that um, on our website uh, as just um, some ways that you can um, take and, and maybe possibly duplicate in your area. Um, mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, media is a great, a great way for us, especially Facebook and the website, to get out information and share those success stories. And we're always looking for, so if anyone's listening and would like to share their story, mm-hmm. um, we'd be happy to take that and, and either interview you or, or do a, a flyer or some kind of article in our newsletter.
1: Well, that's tremendous. And so the message I'm hearing, Tammy, whether you actually interface with the National Native Network, I'm speaking to you as listeners, Or whether you just say, hey, this is something that we need to do at our tribal level. Yeah, we've got uh, Native-specific materials, but we're not sharing stories of people in our own tribe, in our own community, who are success stories. And this would be true not just for tobacco. It would be true for dietary change and exercise and other things, right? Mm
5: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And we're hoping to be able to expand um, out into other areas also. But, I mean, like I said before, this is, you know, tobacco is um, is one facet, and that if you quit tobacco it affects your your health overall mm-hmm. in, in a great way, but we 're really kind of holistic in our in our health, so you have to change your behavior you have to change other things also in order to be kind of successful in quitting and staying quit with tobacco so i 'm talking about traditional foods and diabetes mm-hmm. and i mean all of those things are tied together Tremendous. with tobacco, so you can 't really solve one problem without it affecting all the rest of them so it's one of those things that we, we try to work together and have information on our facebook page and our website and um and links so that you can contact those people and and make your your chance of success the, the highest rate at the highest rate
1: well that's tremendous tammy i know you've got a busy schedule too thank you so much for sneaking into the booth today tammy Meisner. she's with keep it sacred the initiative of the national native network as well as her other credentials keepitsacred.org. That's where to get more information. Tammy, thank you so much.
5: Thank you so much.
1: we got to step away. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Stay tuned.
0: American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero.
3: Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders
4: and Stroke.
0: You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr.
1: DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. With me in the exhibit hall, Joshua Hudson. Josh, it's great to have you with us as well.
6: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: Now, we were just uh, talking with Tammy Meisner. Tammy, of course, works with the National Native Network. All my listeners know that you've known it for quite a while because she works with you, right?
6: Yeah, she does.
1: Now, my understanding is although you've got a lot of players like Tammy, uh, you are the only one who is actually full-time with the network. Is that correct? Yep. So the way
6: that the network kind of functions is we're a network of networks. So Tammy's up in Alaska and I'm in Michigan, and then we have somebody in the Dakotas in South Dakota, but they serve the region, and then someone in California. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of diffuse from there. But I'm the only one who works full time on the network.
1: So a lot of people are probably wondering, you know, they've got questions, and one of those questions actually is. We've been talking a lot to people in Indian country, but we have listeners who, I mean, they honestly have no native background. And we talk about this terminology in Indian country of keeping things sacred. Mm -hmm. And I have other people from maybe Christian backgrounds or Jewish backgrounds, they say sacred. I mean, that sounds like my religious tradition. We don't have anything to do with tobacco. Tobacco doesn't sound sacred at all to me. So, how, so help someone understand who may be outside of Indian country what this terminology is of keeping tobacco sacred. Okay. Well, so tobacco for us is
6: one of our original medicines. Um, and that's actually how tobacco got to where it is today. It was exchanged through trade and colonization, mm-hmm. um, and taken to Europe and taken to Asia. And mass-produced for things like cigarettes. And so, you know, the fundamental difference is when you misuse medicines, they'll hurt you in the end. Hmm. Um, you know, and we're in, in a serious crisis right now talking about opiates. And so, I mean, I feel like the comparison is there with tobacco because tobacco is a medicine. And, you know, it depends on each tribe and everybody uses their traditional tobacco differently. Um, and not every tribe does have traditional tobacco, but those who do use it in certain prescribed ways and it's not every 15 minutes and it's not to relieve stress, it's I'm going to pray, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if that's using it in the pipe, you know, we don't ingest that because it's a form of prayer and the prayers aren't meant for you. It's meant for the creator. Um, but you know, and and, and another way to look at it is so with the national native network, we work on tobacco and cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, we talk about keep it sacred and we also say life is sacred. So understanding that like we as people, Life, you know, is very important and very sacred, and we have to keep our life sacred. Mm -hmm. And, you know, by using our medicines in a traditional prescribed way that they should be used and not misusing them and abusing them, you know, we will be helping our health.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, it's very interesting because, you know, a lot of people in today's culture, they listen, they say tobacco medicinal, and they they laugh about these ads from former generations of non-Native people who you know, we're prescribing tobacco for, you know, lung conditions Mm -hmm. and and prescribing it to to athletes and and for various uh, reasons that we would say today have no basis. But I find it interesting as a physician to realize that there are things that nicotine actually does help in the medical arena. I mean, one of them that we talk uh, quite a bit about is uh, chronic ulcerative colitis and inflammatory bowel disease. There actually is a connection with tobacco having a medicinal role. And the most practitioners are are prescribing it that way, okay. but there are clearly things that there are compounds in tobacco that have uh, basically medicinal benefits. So it's an interesting dialogue because a lot of times we don't hear anything about anything good about tobacco mm-hmm. because it's associated with so many, really hundreds of thousands of deaths yeah. in the United States. So you're really dealing on kind of the front line because tobacco started with First Nation peoples here mm-hmm. on this continent.
6: Yeah. And, you know, I, I find myself in a lot of different tobacco control, uh, circles and mm-hmm. realms and everyone, you know, talks about how evil tobacco is and we need to get rid of tobacco and we have to get rid of it yesterday. And, you know, so I always have to remind them, even though you might not know this and this might not pertain to you, you know, the, to- the world will never be tobacco free, mm. you know, and there was a, an article published, you know, by some, Really awesome Native, uh, Native folks who uh-huh. were talking about how the world will never be tobacco free. Mm. You know, um, I can't name everybody who is on that article, but I know Coco Villaluz. She's, you know, a hero of mine. She's been doing really awesome work throughout Indian country around tobacco. And, uh-huh. you know, so that article just broke that down that it is traditional and it, it is a medicine and it will always be here for us. Mm-hmm. You know, so we, we won't be tobacco free, but you know, the thing that I try to remember to say myself, um, you know, but also to remind everyone else is when we talk about bad tobacco, you know, taking out tobacco, you know, frame it as commercial tobacco Mm. because that's, you know, fundamentally different. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: No, I mean, so I think this dialogue is very helpful because no matter where someone weighs in in the tobacco dialogue today, whether they're native, whether they have no native roots, I think just having an understanding Mm -hmm. of some of these things helps us at a community level to work because it's surprising. I I was having a discussion with some individuals who don't work in Indian country, and I was asking, how many Native Americans Mm -hmm. do you know? And many of them were saying, you know, I don't know any Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just because many people with Native roots don't really disclose their heritage yeah. you know you know what's your name you don't say josh you know i'm ojibwe yeah right mm-hmm. uh, maybe you might in some you know cu- cultural context well it
6: depends on the circles that i'm in mm-hmm. you know but just in everyday life i don't walk around and you know introduce myself i'm josh hudson and i'm a ojibwe you mm-hmm. know because it <laughs> sometimes that opens you up to like a lot of answering a lot of questions and you know i don't feel like people always have the sa- the extra time and energy to explain all of these things all of the time. You Mm -hmm. know, so chances are those people have met somebody who's Native. They just didn't realize it, Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. you know. Exactly. So let's come back then to to talking a little bit more about the National Native Network. Tammy was talking with us some about, you know, why everyone in Indian country should be aware of what you do, Mm -hmm. that you've got a great website, you've got some great people who can help as far as individualizing things at a tribal level. And we started to talk about some stories, some things that impacted Tammy. She shared a little bit from Alaska. I know that always energizes people to hear about success stories. What kind of things come to your mind, Josh, when we talk about that?
6: To echo what Tammy, you know, was saying, we do have lots of, you know, really cool things to share. Mm-hmm. Um, they're free and available. To just back up a little bit, the National Native Network. We're one of eight uh, federally funded networks for priority populations who mm. have high rates of tobacco abuse and high rates of cancer, we're the Native American one. And we do have resources that are free, you know, reach out if you're seeking training or technical assistance. But in terms of success stories, you know, talking about uh, tribes going smoke-free, mm-hmm. you know, within their their tribal buildings, which now doesn't seem like such a... Str- long stretch but you know it's in i'm relatively new to the public health realm um you know i'm only a couple years deep but um it's really interesting hearing the historical perspective of you know you'd have tribal council members just sitting in their office smoking at their desk Mm. um you know so i i can't imagine what that would look like you know but So we've come a long way and we're still making, you know, further strides. So you have those community advocates who are pushing for smoke-free areas and tribal casinos, for instance, Mm -hmm. laying the groundwork for our casinos to go smoke-free eventually. Mm. Even though there's a lot of uh, tension around that, Mm -hmm. I really believe in our ability to prevail because it will be in the best interest of our communities because... How many community members do we have working in our casinos? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we talk about the health impacts of secondhand and thirdhand smoke. Oh, good point. Very serious, you know, and how much is our community spending through healthcare costs to help keep our tribal membership alive when Mm -hmm. some of this exposure could be easily prevented? Mm -hmm. I think one of the coolest success stories that I love talking about right now is... The Ho-Chunk tribe out in Wisconsin, Mm. they have a casino in the Madison area and they went smoke free there, 100% smoke free in the Mm. casino. And their profits are better now than they were before because, yeah, because when, you know, when we look at the national level, there are more people who don't smoke Mm -hmm. than people who do. And it's not just, you know, the national aggregate. That's not to say that in the, you know, the gambling environment that there's a bunch of smokers, there's usually only a couple smokers and everyone Mm -hmm. else just kind of puts up with it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of people who don't even want to put up with it at all. Mm -hmm. So they won't go. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool hearing that story. And every time I hear, you know, hear about that, and I talk about it a lot too, because it's important to share, you know, successes that are happening. And so I know that there's hesitancy you know, just in human nature for change and right. especially when our communities are so dependent on our economic development opportunities and gaming is a cornerstone of our economic efforts. So I understand the hesitancy to change, but, you know, Ho-Chunk did it mm-hmm. and they've been successful because of it.
1: No, this is a great story and I appreciate both those examples because we're not only speaking to people throughout Indian country, but for the many people that tune into the show who are not yeah. native. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I think, in the general public think, well, Native Americans, they're just all into tobacco. I mean, all their tribal Mm -hmm. officials smoke. All their buildings are filled with, you know, cigarette smoke. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is, you know, this is not the narrative that's being written in Indian country today.
6: Oh, no. It's in, you know, this is what I talk about with people, Native and non-Native, is I just remind people the greatest and strongest changes we can ever make are from within the community. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to find those people who are going to help fight that fight because as public health advocates, we can't always carry the torch, mm-hmm. especially like if I'm not a tribal member in this tribe, I can't go in and say, this is what you need to be doing. And you need to, you know, do all of this, that, and the other. It's much more powerful if you find an elder that's deeply respected that can share like, this is, this is hurting me and hurting everyone. Or if you get a group of young people who mobilize and say like, this isn't healthy for us and we don't want to be around this. So I think that's one of the coolest parts about like the work that I do. And I feel like a work that everyone else is doing too. is seeing all that cool stuff that's going on.
1: You know, you bring up a really interesting question, Josh, because People who are tuning into the show, they're saying, okay, well, this is really relevant to maybe a tribal council person. Maybe it's relevant to someone who's working in the local health service, but it's not relevant to me. I'm just an elder, quote, just an elder. Mm -hmm. What I hear you saying is what's really needed in every nook and cranny of Indian country are champions. Mm -hmm. And someone who, right now, maybe they say, well, yeah, I was tribal council person years ago, but I'm mm-hmm. in my own world with my family. I'm sure I'm here, maybe on the reservation or wherever, but yeah. may not have any formal role in the tribe. I hear you saying that you would love to see some of those people connect with your team, mm-hmm. and you would help them to mm-hmm. brainstorm things they could do at whatever level of responsibility they have.
6: Yeah, um, you know, so we do receive federal funds, so we're limited. Somewhat on some things that we can do, so we can you know provide education and help provide resources and mm-hmm. help engage for ideas, but you know we can 't lobby right right, so my background my educational background is in political science, public administration, oh, okay. uh, but my working experience started in substance abuse,
1: hmm. so
6: you can engage those community members who uh, you know I worked at a tribal treatment center mm-hmm. and you know there 's this idea um, this is like a larger overarching conversation in the tobacco control realm right now that, you know, oh, well, we have to focus on opiates right now because it's killing so many people. But, mm. you know, tobacco
1: kills more people. This is, this is a great topic. You know? I don't know, are you able to stay by for a final segment today? Yeah. Because we have to talk about this. Oftentimes in the treatment community, we talk about addictions, Like Josh is mentioning, we stick tobacco smoking off to the side. and We say Mm -hmm. it's not really all that important. We want to talk about this whole topic and why it's so important to address tobacco. And this is true whether you're listening and, and thinking from a tribal standpoint or whether you're not a native and you just have friends and family members that are dealing with substance abuse issues. We're going to be back with our final segment of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose, my guest, Joshua Hudson, he will be back for our final segment with me. Stay tuned for more. Don't go
0: away. Today's broadcast has been prerecorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE,
1: 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose, alongside of me, is Joshua Hudson, literally in the exhibit hall here at the National Tribal Public Health Summit, we're at the Mystic Lake Casino and Resort here in Prior Lake, Minnesota. Uh, now, you're based in UP, in the UP of Michigan, yep. right? Yep, the Upper Peninsula. So, for those who don't know the geography, they might think, well, Michigan, Minnesota, don't they touch somewhere far up north there? Does that work?
6: Um, uh, we don't actually touch. Okay. Wisconsin is in between us. Okay. So, we don't actually touch, but uh, we're close.
1: Okay. And so, if you're close, you're probably only, what, 15, 20 minutes away? How does it work?
6: Um. Uh, you know, I, I haven't made that drive in a while. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know how long you have to drive through Wisconsin. No, no, but, I
1: meant coming all the way here.
6: Oh, so it's a nine hour drive. Okay. Cause I'm on, so I always, I always point out, cause a lot of people know where Duluth, Minnesota is. Uh-huh. It's on the west, like the west end of Lake Superior. I always say I work in Sault Ste. Marie, which is the opposite of Duluth. We're on the east end of Lake Superior. Okay. So, you know, it's, that's quite a long drive. It's a nine hour, nine and a half hour drive to min, Minneapolis from wow. Sault Ste. Marie.
1: So for people that don't know the uh the northern plains, northern great lakes, this is a pretty vast area. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. just the west that has big states.
6: No, it's in yeah, and so in the upper peninsula, a lot of it is not super developed. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of woods and we actually have a lot of uh acreage of national forest. Mm-hmm. So uh it's really beautiful, but it's uh rather large. Okay. Um Very scenic, but not a whole lot always there. I mean, there's great camping and Uh all of that, but it makes for a somewhat uninteresting drive.
1: Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Well, so let's get back to our topic. I'll just tell you a story that happened to me. uh, Actually, it was many years ago. I was working on the East Coast, and I had gone to a meeting dealing actually with tobacco-related issues. And it was a meeting that was comprised of people in the addiction community, health professionals, Mm -hmm. and they were sharing stories. Okay. And really, the gist of their stories was they were saying, We've been too complacent in the addiction community with tobacco. Okay. And they were sharing stories of how, you know, we'd help these people get off their narcotic addiction, mm-hmm. or we had this counselor who was working with uh, crack cocaine or whatever mm-hmm. issues they were dealing with then. And they went person after person saying how, well, this person then died from a heart attack related yeah. to their smoking or died from lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And the message they were Suggesting should be embraced by the addiction community again. We're probably going back 25 years at least. Was um, we need to be serious about helping people break free mm-hmm. of all addictive substances? Mm-hmm. So, is that a dialogue that's playing out in Indian country? How, how do you see that topic?
6: Um, that dialogue I don't see happening very strongly or very deeply in Indian country. Um, one of our sibling networks is the National Behavioral Health Network, and they're housed at the National Behavioral Health Council. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they, they do awesome, amazing work. Actually, all the networks do. I'm not trying to just (laughs) say they're, you know, I feel like we are all doing amazing work, but I feel like this is a great intersection, you know? So is that conversation being had in Indian country? Not really, you Mm. know, in some spaces and places it is, but for the most part, there's this larger overarching, I understand the being in crisis mode and, and having to address these opiates. A couple of years ago, like, the focus was all on meth, you know, and mm-hmm. suicide. And I understand that. But, you know, when we have these conversations, we have to be talking about the impact of commercial tobacco use and what that looks like. And, you know, studies are showing, and I don't have the journal, you know, article off the top of my head. But mm-hmm. studies are showing, though, that when people enter recovery and they abstain from commercial tobacco use, the nicotine, mm-hmm. Uh, that they have better rates of abstention later on.
1: Isn't that interesting? Yeah.
6: Well, because, you know, when you think about having that that thought process, well, I, I mean, I'm not going to go drink, but I'm totally going to have a smoke. You know, but you're still rewarding that same reward center in your brain because mm. they're both addictions. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me, you know, and I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, mm-hmm. you know, a psychiatrist, but that makes sense to me. If you have an itch and you're scratching it, you know, that could make abstinence from other things a little bit more difficult too.
1: Yeah, it's a very interesting topic. I mean, it, it may be a little bit tangential to what we're speaking about, but yeah. some uh, years after my stint on the East Coast, I was yeah. back in the uh, Midwest or Southwest, wherever you want to put Oklahoma, and we were running residential stop smoking programs. So it would be okay. a one-week program. People would come live in a facility, and we'd help them quit. And one of the things from our research, we were seeing this connection between caffeine and nicotine. Okay. So we would have people go Mm caffeine-free as well as nicotine-free, and then we'd encourage them to stay off the caffeine as well. And I think, as I recall the data, we we analyzed it back then. We contacted people six or eight months after they'd gone through our program, and I think it was about 50-50, those who had stuck with the message of staying off the caffeine as well, and those who had uh, actually gone back to uh, the use of caffeine. And it was startling. I mean, a huge, statistically significant difference. Those who went back to the caffeine were much more likely to go back to the tobacco Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. than those who hadn't. And it kind of reminds me of this dialogue we're having right now. Yeah. So really, from your perspective at the uh, National Native Network, you're making a plea, if I will. I mean, I I don't hear you actually begging, Josh, (laughs) but I hear you speaking to our listenership saying, if you're an Indian country, if you're in mm-hmm. in healthcare, whether you're working with Native people, First Nation peoples or not, mm-hmm. if you're working with addictions, start thinking more broadly. Look at nicotine yeah. and how it may be related to some of these other issues.
6: Well, and the overarching point that I always make, too, is I'm like, okay, so we're pulling these people out of this dire crisis right now. You mm-hmm. know, like if, if you keep drinking, you'll die. Okay, cool. So we work on that. You know, they stop drinking only for them to die of a tobacco-related illness mm-hmm. later on in life. Heart attack, you know, cerebrovascular, mm-hmm. like the stroke, cancer. There's so many things that are linked to commercial tobacco, you know, abuse. And by not approaching that in a good way, uh, we're helping people live a little bit longer only to die from tobacco-related illness, mm-hmm. which is a shame.
1: One of the more sensitive topics that come up, you know, in the addiction community, usually we say if someone's an addict, they need to totally abstain. Mm -hmm. And so we've been making this distinction in our dialogue here between commercial tobacco and sacred tobacco or traditional tobacco. Mm -hmm. What do we know about an individual who, let's say, they're smoking three packs a day of commercial tobacco? Mm -hmm. Is there a danger for them to be in a setting where there's a ceremony where tobacco is being used even in a, quote, sacred or traditional way? Is there a danger that that will pull them back into addictive behaviors. Do we know anything about that?
6: Um, I haven't seen any studies on Mm -hmm. that and I can't fully speak, you know, from a scientific lens about that, but I, I don't feel like it it feels different, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, So I guess that would depend on the person, Mm -hmm. you know, I can't, I can't fully speak on that, but in in my mind and in my experience, they're fundamentally different. So, um, you know, again, like if we're using like the, the pipe, you know, that, that ceremony is much different, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you're not supposed to inhale that. And so maybe if they do have that conversation with them, you know, this, it's not meant for you and this will harm you Mm -hmm. because any air that you're breathing, that's not fully clean air. Can impact your health. Okay. You know, like that's a not. Very, very practical yeah. point. So just reminding them to use it in the, that traditional way. And also in my community, we don't just use the pipe. Like we'll provide offerings. So mm. you'd be holding it and, you know, you put your thoughts and your prayers and your intentions into it. Um, and then you'd set it down by a tree or in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're letting, you know, you're letting that go out into the universe. You know, you're not carrying those things anymore and you're putting everything out. So I don't think that that – and I guess for, for that person, if they felt like that could be an issue, maybe use those, those ways of using tobacco that, uh, you know, wouldn't put them at any risk of ingesting it,
4: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you
6: know, doing that offering and handing that off.
1: Mm. So basically there's different ways culturally or ceremonially people in Indian country can engage with tobacco mm-hmm. and not have to be in the presence ever of, of tobacco smoke or tobacco that's being burned.
6: Yeah. Well, and – so the way that I kind of uh, have really been thinking about it, and the way that I talk about it a lot now, is mm-hmm. tobacco is a tangible—it's a tangible thing. Like it's a tangible medicine that can be used for creating connection. Hmm. So, you know, tobacco can be used in ways that you wouldn't be inhaling it, or even if you are having a ceremony, if it's outside, you know, you're not really at risk of like breathing that.
1: Well, believe it or not, Joshua, I, I sometimes tell my guests. No matter how good the guest is, the clock always wins. Uh, Yeah. And our time has just about slipped away. Before we do finish up, we want to hear again about how folks can tap into the great resources you have. How do they get a hold of you and your team?
3: Our
6: website is uh, keepitsacred.org, and our email is nnn@itcmi.org. at Um, And if you felt like calling, uh, our main office at Intertribal Council of Michigan is 906-632-6896.
1: Okay, let me see if I got this all down. You you keep me straight, okay, Josh? Okay. So what I've got listed here is keepitsacred.org. That's yep. the website. Mm-hmm. But if someone wants to get a hold of you and your team, the email, give me that one more time.
6: N at
1: O R G. Okay, so nnn for the National Native Network. Yep. At And what does ITCMI stand for?
6: That's the Tribal Council of Michigan. Okay. We administer the network.
1: Okay, so if someone can remember that... You're with the Inter-Tribal Council of Michigan, mm-hmm. itcmi.org. So nnn at itcmi.org. And then give me one more time that phone number.
6: Uh, the phone number is 906-632-6896. Okay.
1: So, again, area code 906-632-6896.
6: Yep. And all of our contact information is on our website, too.
1: Tremendous. Josh, we do have to go. Thank you for joining us today. At the National Tribal Public Health Summit. You've been listening to Josh Hudson, my last guest, as well as some other great guests. We'll be back with more next week. For all of us at American Indian Living, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health.
4: Native Voice One, the Native American Radio
5: Network.